You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. I say that for everyone, but I really mean it this time. And I also have a special relationship with this person. Not only do I consider him a friend, but he is a client of mine here at Stateside Management, LLC. Please welcome to the show, Tom Danny. Hello. Hello. (laughs) For those that don't know, Tom was one of the the, uh, founding members of the band A Day to Remember. He is a producer, mixer, songwriter, all-around badass. Um... Tom, how long have you, how long have you been doing this damn thing? Like, when did you first start playing in bands and knowing that music was something that you were attracted to? Music has been, you know, basically a big part of my life since, since I can remember. As far back as I can remember, like maybe ten years old, I've been writing and and composing my own music. You know, in some way, you know, it maybe it wasn't. I obviously wasn't very good at first, but. <laughs> It's kind of so. It's pretty much been my main focus my whole life. Professionally speaking, I would say around 2004. So, I think my the first record that I did that wasn't a day to remember was 2004, 2005, which was I have no idea how many years ago. Quite a quite a few. Many years ago, yes. Yeah, (laughs) we'll just say that. Leave it at that, Tom. Quite a few. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that's. that's amazing. I, I have a similar thing. And I, I, I remember I was probably about eight years old when my parents realized I just loved music. Like I, I watched MTV all fucking day. I was just glued to it. And I I was always tapping on shit. And I, I loved drummers. I loved Dave Grohl and shit. And my dad, he's like, you know, anything can be a drum set. So just start like hitting stuff. So I I took Tupperware out of the kitchen and I like flipped the cooking spoons upside down. I just beat the shit out of those. Then my dad, he works as a structural inspector where part of his job was to test concrete, like the strength and compressive strength of concrete. And the way you do that is you put them, you scoop the concrete into these plastic cylinders and that makes a mold of a cylinder concrete. And then they go and compress that to see how strong it is. Anyway, the oh, the plastic cool. cylinders that he would use for his work, he brought home and cut them up into different sizes. So it was like a plastic drum set. And he did all that just to see if like I gave a shit about it. And I did. Nice. And I, I did it like every fucking day. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they bought me my first drum set. But yeah, I mean, I, similar f- from you, like I, I kind of just don't remember a time where I, I didn't love music and I didn't want to be a part of it in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's funny you talk about uh, beating on pots and stuff. Cause that's, you know, I did the exact same thing. There's a VHS video at my parents' house somewhere of my first band when I was like 12 and uh, my drummer who wasn't really a drummer. He was just a, a kid from the neighborhood was, he's like banging on up these upside down five gallon buckets and with plastic spoons that we got out of the kitchen i mean it's just so ridiculous but it's like yeah you know we we were poor as shit you know it's like totally and and we were too i I just wanted to make music and i I really didn't even care how that music was you know sounded i just wanted to create something and when you know when you're young and yeah inspired you just kind of you find whatever resources are around (laughs) and i feel like that that mindset is like I, I still implement that today, you know, and I feel like that's a, a really good way to be creative is like, you know, not restrict yourself to like, you know, oh, I have to have this like really nice guitar, or this really nice drum set or, you know, it's like, no, man, you got to think outside of the box and be creative and, and be willing to experiment with sounds because that's all music is. 100%. No, and I think it's a it's a powerful self-discovery when you're young that you you realize that you just discovered something that you like and that you're possibly even decent at that that like you can create something out of thin air once something didn't exist and now something does exist and that is a uh, 
really powerful discovery for a young person. Yeah, incredible. Uh, you know, and I feel like for the the people that grew up to become professional musicians and producer writers, there's not a lot of things I feel like that you discover as a almost as a toddler that like impacts you so much that it becomes your life for the rest of your life and it's like it's just it's so i think about all the time it's so fascinating that like music and and art in general not just music any artist you know when when you're a kid and you're like experimenting with this this new thing and it's like giving you this joy and like inspiration and like it's just like making you feel something that nothing else does it's just fascinating to me that for some people that that feeling is so uh it's like it's so important that it literally stays with you forever and becomes who you are you know and, that, and that's what I ha you know for me like music is literally who I it's like my entire life you know and uh it's I've known it since since I was 10 years old like not a doubt in my mind and it's just never left me and um I don't know it's just it's fascinating and what a gift it's incredible yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, I feel very lucky to even have the the uh, ability to to love it as much as I do. You know, I know. I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard this too in your life. I, I've had people that are just straight up envious of people like us that we've always had a clear focus point for our life of things. You know, something that inspires us. And like I've come and gone, like I, I at one point wanted to do something else. It's not to say that like all I've ever done was music, but right. most of my life, it's all I've done and yeah. in some capacity and all of my life I knew was something I was naturally good at and that I understood and that I really liked. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty rare. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. Same here. You know, there's been. There's been times in my life where I've either stepped away for a little bit or I I was doing something else or, you know, growing up. But music was always still involved in my life somehow. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, I love it. It's great. It is indeed great. I mean, the only other thing I can think of when I was young, like I love baseball. I'm still a massive baseball fan. But that was sort of like ancillary. You know, I, I, I knew I was never going to be a fucking good baseball player. So that's yeah. different. Um, I love skateboarding. I loved skateboarding as a kid and teenager and early adult. And there's a lot of parallel with skating and music, especially punk rock and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But like, same thing. I, I was never very good at skating. I was a suburban kid, just like everyone else. I could kick flip a little bit. I could kind of fall on my ass a lot. Yeah. But like, there was no fucking way I was going to become a professional skater. And I knew <laughs> right. that from day one. And music was different. Like I knew either, I, I'm a pretty decent drummer. I was especially good when I was in my 20s. But even more than that, I just, I understand it. And that's why I started stateside. You know, like I, had, I have a good handle on this side of it. Um, so like, that, that I think that's interesting for for the audience listening that, Look, because there's a lot of people listening that are going to be a fan of yours, both from the band that you played in back in the day and your current work as a producer. Um, you know, like the New Secrets record is so fucking awesome and such a ripping, just killer fucking record. <laughs> Thank you. And Thank you. you had such a big deal in that. What What is, you know, it's it's an inspiration for people to hear, okay, well, look, Tom Denny did it. I can do it too. He did something from the time he was a kid till now. I can do that too. But I think what's even more important is you can you can stick to one path, in your case, music, but you can find a different identity within music than just the I am Tom Denny from a day to remember that is who I am. You, right. you figured out how to go from that to something else, producing, mixing, and writing. What has What was that transition like and... Well, I guess, what have you learned from making that jump? Being in a band was never really the end goal for me. You know, I mean, maybe I thought it was, but uh, creating the music or creating music in general was the goal. Being, starting a day to remember it was the, uh, the 
pool to get me to where I needed to be to create the music I wanted to create. You know what I'm saying? And so when I finally, you know, got to a point where I thought it was time to not be in the band anymore and, and focus more on my personal career and start writing with other people, it was, it was a, it wasn't a hard choice. You know, it was like this, this is, this is what I want to do. You know, I don't want to be on tour all the time. Like, I don't want to be away. Like I want to be in the studio literally 24 seven. I don't want to be anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So yeah. the, the, the record cycle, you know, touring two year period, it was just like hell for me. Like the whole time I was just like either writing songs or waiting to go into the studio to work on new material, everything, you know, I enjoyed playing on stage, yeah, but like all the other, it's just like I just wanted to be in the studio making music, you know. I always have. So when I decided to to quit the band, it was it was pretty. It was just like a I didn't even have to make the decision. It was just I need to I need to focus on this, and you know, yeah, the band, the band was about to blow up. We kind of we kind of knew it. Homesick had just came out, and did really well immediately and you know when we finished that record and like we got the finished like final mixes it was just so obvious you know how good the record was that you guys were about to fucking take off not not to sound cocky it's not a cocky thing but like you know, the first when we finished that record man it was like the first time in my life i was just like god damn you know what I'm saying? Like I've written, like I wrote a lot of songs before then, but that was the first time I was just like, "Holy shit, this is something different." This is different, man. I'm really proud of this. Which is crazy, Tom, that like you you left the band even though you knew this band was about to fucking take off. Like you guys were already a pretty prominent band, but then you then you knew it was going to be even bigger, and you still chose to leave the band. I think is very indicative of your personality and your character, but also. I think represents um, a true calling to what corner of this thing that we do that you gravitated towards and you doubled down on that. Yeah. You knew, like you just knew it. You were comfortable in the studio. That was home for you. You're comfortable writing. You're comfortable with the creating the artist part of it. And some people are the opposite. Some people fucking hate the studio. I know. They, they feel kind of stuck and, and claustrophobic and they just can't wait to get back on the road and play in front of their fans. Yeah. Totally. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong or right about it. It's all just different. And I guess, uh, you know, you and I have talked to this a little bit personally, but what specifically about touring was tough for you? There's definitely quite a few things I didn't like about touring, but, um, you know, yeah, I get really attached to like my home area your home you know, whether it, yeah, yeah whether it's my studio or like you know my house or you know i just yeah i just get really really i'm like i don't venture out <laughs> at all like literally at all so and i i've always been like this since i was since i can remember so i, I don't know if it's social anxiety or if it's just like I, i'm just like the kind of i'm i'm very introverted you know what i'm saying so being on tour out of that element it was it was very uncomfortable for me at all times um i hated being away from my family as much as as we were because we toured like most of the year all the yeah. time oh yeah you guys really I, that's that because that's a whole nother level it's one thing to go do a, a run for a couple of weeks yeah that's and, man i toured a lot no 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 yeah, yeah. You, you guys are gone like <laughs> over years. eight months out of the yeah. year yeah and it was years it was like for yeah, a long time for a long time and i just man it was just like it was just a lot of work um uh mentally emotionally and you know especially in your early 20s when you when you're like kind of discovering yourself and like you, you don't really know yourself 100 yet and you're still growing into a person it's just it's it's hard for anybody and um it was uniquely difficult for me um and i just uh i don't know but there there were things i liked about it too man i, I loved i loved meeting fans i loved hanging out with fans i always tried to meet and hang out and talk to new fans just just like chill and talk and hear 
their stories and and why they like the songs I wrote. I just I just I love that stuff. I still love it. Um, it's just you know being gone that much. It's just man, it's not for me. It's just it's just not who I am. You know, it's not for me either. Yeah, I will admit I I'm somewhere in between though. I mean I I'm really someone that every time I go on a trip, I travel or even just like. Like I went to the Grammys and you know, it's such a wild experience. It's a fucking Grammys. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Totally. And that, and then I come home and you can set the clock. My wife knows within two weeks, I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I, need, I need to move. I need to, there's just so much I want to see and do. And I also, I'm going to talk about this all the time. I, I don't really like where I live. <laughs> so yeah. We're, we're kind of right. working on that. That's a, a longer story, Tom. Yeah. For a different day. But, um, no, like I, but that's, that's one thing, like being able to travel with my wife or me in, in a different capacity, that's, that's different touring. I don't think people fully appreciate what touring actually is. Right. It's not a vacation. We'll start there. Yeah. It's not a full stop fucking Motley Crue party the whole time. (laughs) Not at all, especially when your whole band straight edge. Like it's just especially not. Especially that. Yeah, yeah. That's not. right. No, it's it's <laughs> it's it's shockingly like chalk on a on a, on a fucking board, boring most yeah. of the time. One hundred percent. And not to mention, it's not like you're. I mean, you do see the world in some capacity. Like, yes, technically, I was in Paris today, but you don't get a lot of time to go run around and, like be a tourist. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And nor do you want to. You right. just you just fucking got up because the, the bus ride in shook your fucking ass all night. You barely slept. That's why yeah. bands get up at two PM. It's not because right. they're lazy. It's because your whole life is at night. You're a fucking vampire. And you sleep <laughs> in a in basically a coffin on a, a moving fucking shuttle. It's it's not an easy life. And I, I anytime I come across bands, you know, like Pierce the Veil. Right. Yeah. My my partner Dave, who books Pierce the Veil, he has for years, right? And you've you've worked with Vic and the band. It is impressive, to say the least, that they've been doing it as long as they have at the level. I mean, they're bigger now than they've ever been. And they're they're just fucking killing it. And they tour a lot, man. They tour a lot. And I, I don't know, man. I just I don't know how they do it. <laughs> like it it is it's impressive, dude. That those are some road dogs. I have a lot of respect for people that can tour that much, that consistently for that long, and still do it like seamlessly. I don't know. It, some people are just okay with it. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, and some people find balance. They know how to bring that sense of home with them. Yeah. Um, and if you can do that in a healthy way, I think you can stand the test of time. But for those that that try to fill the time on the road with drugs and bad behavior and things of that nature. I mean, that I think that's why a lot of bands fall to those, those sinful ways so quickly and so often. Absolutely. When I was in the band touring, I hadn't become addicted to drugs yet. Luckily, <laughs> luckily. Can you imagine how much worse it would have been if you'd had? Oh my God. I, I can't. I, I probably know. wouldn't be here. Luckily, I I hadn't been introduced to um to drugs or anything like that yet. But I did drink a lot, and it, I, you know I slept a lot. I would take Nyquil in the middle of the day just to go to sleep because I was miserable. So yeah. I mean, technically, just to shut it know, off. Yeah, I, I was acting, uh, you know, like the addict that I am. You know, yeah. I just hadn't, you know. I wasn't doing heavy drugs yet. So. <laughs> yeah, that hadn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It took you quitting were. the band to find those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and that, dude, that's very common. You know, and you can talk about as little or as much of this part if you want. I'm pretty open about my own addiction issues, and you know, I, I, I really feel for those that are going through it. I went through it. It's something that I'm pretty open about, and. You know, especially opiates, they fucking suck. They they are they're soul suckers. That's all it is. Absolutely. Yeah, oh and if you're out God. there and you're like, God, I just need to get off this Viking and man, it, I I can see where this is going. Like, reach out to me. It's um, 
it's not fun. It doesn't end well. <laughs> like it's not going anywhere positive. Yeah, I um I I you know, I talk about my addiction all the time. I think it's important uh for people that have been through it and and survived it to talk about it. I think it's important for the people that are struggling to hear people they may look up to um and their story and how, you know, when you're in the middle of an addiction, it feels like you're never going to make it out of it for everybody. Not yeah. just, it's not just one feeling. It's like when you're in the midst of your addiction, man, it just feels like there's no, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? It feels impossible. 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 Yep. God, it's like there, there's no end, you know? So I think it's important to hear from people like us, you know, that, that is not the case it's just a fear it's just what it's just what your brain is telling you there's That's absolutely it. there's absolutely you're just a sick way out. you're just yeah. sick and yeah. there is a way out there, exactly. there definitely is and it's so much better it's so much better oh to be honest man it's like i never regret becoming an addict i feel like honestly like getting addicted to drugs and and getting clean and relapsing and getting clean and relapsing and just like going through one of the if not the hardest thing a human being can go through man it's like it's made me such a better person it's made me more empathetic it's made yeah. me more caring it's made me more understanding it's made me better in every single possible way and i feel like i wouldn't wish it on literally anybody but for me personally man it's just it's made me such a better person i don't regret it at all i'm happy i went through it you know yeah and me too it's just, I don't know. If you can make it through that, I feel like you can make it through anything, you know. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that that's a that's a big one. Yeah. Um. After so, we've talked about this before too. You 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 had a moment where you 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 were kind of reaching at whatever branch you could get a hold of, both while you were, you know, in the midst of addiction and going through all that shit. Do you ride motorcycles at all anymore? I think you you mentioned to me you're like that equals just bad times for me, and I, I associate it with with a bad time. Yeah, I don't. I'm not saying I never will. I do yeah. miss it quite a bit. I rode motorcycles with a group of individuals that I shouldn't Did, have. You also <laughs> rode motorcycles in the midst as, of my addiction. as a group. Yes. Yeah, and um, I don't know. It just I I have there's like a. There's just, I have like a negative, there's like a negative. Um, oh, it's understandable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have some kind of negative yeah. like. Uh, association. Association, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. with riding for me that if I do ride again, it's going to be a while. I feel like that needs to. Yeah. I mean, even though it was a long time ago, it just. No, I, I everyone's got their own pace and I only ask because I'm recently just so obsessed with it. And I, you're, yeah. you're one of the few people I know that was pretty into you know harleys and shit back then but oh yeah i was i was very into it for sure yeah Definitely. yeah i'm, I'm hopelessly had, into it now yeah i've had like i mean i've had like five harleys or maybe more did you ride like most bigger or, or they all dinas or big yeah big, the, like most of them were road kings oh okay yeah i had a uh that's awesome i had a I can't remember what it's called. It, it's bigger than the Road King, and it has a fairing. Yeah, there's a few. Road King's the only one I I always remember. Road Glide, maybe. Road Glide. Road. Yeah, maybe Road Glide. Yeah, I think that might have been big bagger. Yeah, huge fairing. Yeah, on yeah. The front. It was a huge bag. That was that was my first Harley. Oh wow! And then I yeah, but I didn't like the fairings, so I switched to Road Kings. And I had like three or four of those after that. Well, I I started like a little wimp and started on a Sportster because <laughs> I'm a. But I had no experience riding at all. I didn't grow up riding dirt bikes. I didn't. I've never had been on a motorcycle, and I went and got a Harley Sportster. And then I did what everyone said I would do. They're like, "Dude, you're gonna want to upgrade within a year." And I'm like, "Yeah, right." Like this is the bike for me for the rest of my life, dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> within like six months, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm starting to understand what they're talking about." <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I just got a brand new uh, Lowrider S. Which yeah, I'm so really, yeah, really, really sick. excited about. Yeah, it's fucking awesome, and you know I'm spending more and more time down in Southern California coming up here, so pretty stoked about that. You, so speaking of sunshine, you live in Florida. You, from what I understand, were like born and raised down there, right? 
I was born in Connecticut, um, but my parents moved down here when I was like seven or five or something. Okay. Uh, So like most of your life. Yeah, yeah. I've been in Ocala um, specifically since I was like seven years old. So most, absolutely most of my life. How has Florida changed? Because, you know, Florida, like Governor DeSantis and the state (laughs) of Florida is just always in the news. And it's such a thing. How has Florida changed to you as like a longtime resident? Well, or is it the same in many ways? I don't know if it's not the same or if I'm just more aware of politics now than I used to. Yeah. Because they're so insane, you know, and politically speaking, I, you know, I definitely don't fit in (laughs) to the deep south. I'm absolutely not. uh, Yeah. You know, that's not who I am. Super right wing. Yeah. Yeah. So I notice it more, you know, I don't know if it's changing. I feel like it is. The politics are becoming more extreme, you know, I I don't know if they're doing it for, for like clickbait or, you know, they're trying to get attention. I don't know what it's for, but it's definitely more noticeable than it's ever been before. So, um, but, but that being said though, like, as far as like the people in Florida, I don't really, I don't notice like the, the regular people acting uh, uh, specifically anti-Semitic or homophobic. Like, I never noticed it, you know, but I'm also not really paying attention, so you never know how people really feel. But it's it's definitely a weird time (laughs) in the country in general, but Florida specifically. Florida is a country. I mean, the, the diversity that exists in that one state is pretty astonishing. I mean, you have, like, the Miami Cuban... Latino kind of thing. And then you have like retirement home, like, you know, snowbird thing. Then you have like the swampy gator South. Now all of a sudden you're in the South and they have accents. And then like up where you are, I mean, like the Orlando area is like, you know, Walt Disney world and SeaWorld. It's like tourist trap. It is a wild place, dude. When we, so we went to Walt Disney world like a couple months ago or something like that. And we, the last day before we went to the airport, we went to a place called Gatorland. Yeah, I've <laughs> been there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. It's like yeah, a yeah. Florida thing. Yeah, that, it is. I mean, what a fucking bonkers place that is. There's no uh, way to explain to people really what Gatorland was like. Yeah, it was it's insane. insane. Yeah, totally insane. And it's like, it. it's funny because like Gatorland is like a location but man there's gators literally everywhere here everywhere you know what i'm saying and if there's a body of water here, there's prob- a gator yeah any anywhere there's water there's 100 gators there and sure. if you're not from here it's probably uh, very intimidating you know it seeing, is. Like, seeing gators all over but like me being from florida and i've been fishing my whole life so like i'm so used to like seeing gators like i don't even I don't even notice them anymore. Like it's just that sentence is a metaphor for Florida. Oh, one hundred percent. The fact that you don't even notice that there's these dinosaurs just yeah. cruising around your home state. Like I live I in I live in Oregon, so you know I might see like a deer. <laughs> it, if I'm lucky, an elk, which is pretty impressive. Right. Fucking raccoons and beavers and shit. You know, like foresty things. Yeah. But. There are no prehistoric dinosaurs just fucking stomping around the state. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. And also, you know, bringing back to the music thing, Florida also has bred some very interesting music scenes. Oh, yeah. Like Gainesville has a ton of punk rock bands. Like that band Against Me is from Gainesville. Less than Jake. Yeah, Less than Jake, right. Yep. And uh, Tampa is like the death metal capital of the world. Totally. Animal Corpse, Six Feet Under. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then, you know, Under Oath. Um, oh, yeah. Under Oath. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure there's a million I'm missing. but And I feel like, man, I feel like Florida has a, its own, like, sound almost. Like, I can kind of hear it sometimes. Yeah. No, there's a sludge to it. There's like a, it's almost, it's almost the South yeah, I mean it is the same. Yeah, it is kind it of. It technically is, but it's <laughs> yeah. like depending on where you are in the state really yeah. decides that. Yeah, it's a it's a wild place, man. Yeah, it really is. I used to hate it, and then I loved it, and then I hated it. But 
the older I get, the more I realize I've always liked it. It's just, yeah. you know, it's easy to hate where you're from, especially when you haven't lived anywhere else. And then you go other places and you realize, oh, well, they all suck. I mean, everywhere sucks, like, really. <laughs> everywhere's, everywhere's great and everywhere sucks at the same time. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's it's all good it and is. bad everywhere. Yeah. So it's good and bad everywhere. And Florida definitely has, yeah, it gets too much of a bad rep for like the Florida man and, you know, yeah. Though those things are real, it also exists in fucking Montana. Oh, of course. And Oregon. Oregon is a shithole. I mean, most of <laughs> Oregon is messy, fucking awful shit. Right. Especially the Portland area. It's yeah. all just like crime and it's fucking tough out here, man. I don't recommend spending too much time in the downtown Portland area. I will just say that. <laughs> You may you may get robbed. Yeah, I've anytime I've been to Portland, it was raining and snowing at the same time. Yeah, and th- that is Portland miserable. Well, you just described it, and now now I'll do that for eight months. That's what it's like here. I mean, it is as gray out there as it could possibly be today. Right. People don't understand. People always ask me. They're like, so what? I mean, like, what is so bad about it? I mean, is it like snowing all the time? I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> is it like really hot? I'm like, no. Like, I mean, well, it sounds pretty temperate to me. I'm like, that's the point. It's right. always about 50-something and gray. Right. And probably either had just rained or is going to rain. So you can't ever plan anything outside. Yeah. You can't do shit ever. That's why right. so many people are in bands here, because there's nothing else to fucking do. Yeah, and there's a lot of... I, I feel like the... Uh that part of the country probably because of the weather and the vibe of the, like the, just the energy in general of the environment. Yeah. There's like a lot of serial killers and like, like a yeah. crazy shit. I mean, there's a lot crazy. down here too. For yeah. Sure. But there's just a lot up there and I, I don't know if the weather has anything to do with it or not, but I think it does. I mean, yeah. like the grunge scene came from here. It's yeah. no shocker why. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's wearing <laughs> flannel and fucking bummed out. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Well, to, to bring it back into what we do professionally here, Tom. Of course. So the Secrets record comes out technically in 2022. It's a fucking smash hit. It's done really well. It is a killer record. What What was that experience like? Um, you know, both in, in producing it and being one of the writers on the record. What was that like? What did you learn from it? I mean, it was pretty interesting because I, so I took like four years off of, of music in general to get clean, to get my head straight, to try to get my mental health back in, you know. I, I just was going through a really hard time, so I, I stepped away. And I came back. I started working on music again around 2020 or maybe 2019 and the secrets record, uh, I reconnected with the band. And so I've worked on all of their records except for the one before that one, because I wasn't making records at the time. And so I hit the band up and I had a bunch of songs I had written because, you know, you go four years without writing music as a songwriter. As soon as you start, as soon as I started, it was like I had all this built up. Oh, I bet. Like creativity, which just literally just poured out of me. So I had a lot. That's so cool. I, mean, I still have a bunch of songs from that era, from that period of time. Um, and uh, so I had all these ideas and songs written, these demos. So I hit Secrets up and, you know, it was like, hey, we should work on some of these songs because I, I I you know I have a bunch of shit that we should do so their singer and screamer came down for a few days we worked on like four songs and they turned out great and then you know they uh re-signed to Dave's label yeah right right after we did those songs and then we finished the record it was it was great I mean it it was interesting because like they've never been as heavy as they are now and so they were like pushing me to write heavier and heavier and heavier stuff, which I don't normally do, you know, like I, I can do it and I have, but writing like heavy metalcore has never really been like my favorite thing. Hooks is kind of your thing. Yeah. You know, pop punk, um, you know, hardcore pop punk, post hardcore, anything like melodic, like I'm, I'm all, I'm all for it. You know what I'm saying? 
but I I do like being pushed creatively and it does something to my brain. It like triggers something and it makes me it like does something creatively to me when I'm I'm working with somebody and, they, and they're pushing me to do something outside my comfort zone or something different or something new. And I feel like being pushed to write like a, a heavier record for them. Um, I don't know. It just really it brought out some really cool ideas that I I didn't think I, w- I was able to do. And it, and it turned out really well. So it's not funny how, you know, producers and, and co-writers typically are the ones doing the asking of the artist. Like, I'm going right. to I'm going to push you to yeah. do something. I'm going to push you to push harder and be harder and or explore these lyrics or whatever right and i i think i think there's something cool about that that like in your experience it it went the other way around yeah the band was like we no we want it we're pulling something out of you because we know then that'll get something out of us and i think a a good producer should be open to that (laughs) you know Oh, 100 100%. and you know my my relationship with secrets is probably different than a lot of band producer relationships as well i'm kind of like a i'm kind of like an additional band member you know i've always written the majority of the music so you know when we write together it's like your guitar players writing the music you know it's like it's like i'm in the band and that's kind of how the it's how it works it's how the communication works it's how the vibe is you know it's very it's it's very like uh you know basically like i'm an extra guitar player yeah, and that's the and, way it should be. And and I, I honestly, I I like writing and working with artists like that. Always, I think the writer, especially if you're like if you're writing a significant portion for the band and you're producing the record. I mean, you basically are an additional member, you know. And the the band can find a way to be comfortable with that and, and be like open to you actually writing as as much as you know you need to write for the band you know because like a a lot of bands not a lot but some bands might be might feel weird about an outside writer writing everything for the band right what i'm saying right and i think that's why my you know our relationship works so well is because they're they're cool with it because they look at me like an additional band member you know right Right, you're not yeah. just some guy. Here's the songs for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Smith. So, yeah. Um, it's uh, and I think because of that, you know, uh, music comes out that maybe wouldn't normally come out, and I'm definitely really proud of it. I, I'm really proud of that record for sure. I am too. I, I think you did an incredible job. It's it's really fucking fun. Thank you, man. Well, before I forget, I mean, for for those listening, if if anyone's listening to this episode and a like. Uh, you know, a, a light goes off in their head and they think, Hey, I want Tom Denny to, to help write for us. Or I want Tom Denny to help produce my band. What's the best way for bands to do that? And is there something that you're looking for as a producer? I mean, I happen to manage you, so this is easy. <laughs> right. I have a website, tomdennymusic.com. You can reach out to me and hit me up on there. Um, my Instagram, the stateside website, state size anything stateside you know you your email your contact information but i mean i'm pretty open to doing to working with whoever the music just has to kind of inspire me and has to you know well that's what's cool about you i mean obviously pop punk and you know shit like that you're kind of known for but i know you and like if there's a someone out there that is probably more leaning towards like hip-hop or straight hardcore or something like they should also reach out 100 percent. if it's good it's good yeah that's the thing man like yeah there's like specific genres i quote unquote specialize in you know i guess but i love all music you know i i grew up on hip-hop i've been listening to hip-hop my whole life i still do it's like literally the probably i listen to hip-hop more than i listen to anything else and it's always been that way you know pop punk and and you're literally wearing a death row records sweater right now yeah, of course, exactly. I should also mention you're wearing a stateside management hat, as am I. So we're some yeah. stateside boys right now. <laughs> I've literally had this on that. since I used it to me. I haven't taken it off. <laughs> it's a good hat. It's a good hat. I wear it all the time too. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's Thanks, sick. But uh, yeah, man, I if if it inspires me, I want to work on it. You know, it, it's for sure. Just, it's that simple. Well, that's what I like about you, and people may not fully know is like 
someone like Tom is approachable. Right. And just because you may look up to him and you think like, I am not the caliber of artist he's looking for. You don't know that. Like, don't be a ding dong about this. Reach out. You know, you never know. Maybe, maybe it is good fit. I'm not promising it will be. Odds are it won't be. <laughs> be right. yeah. But it, but it could exactly. be. But it could be. And you're not, you're not a fucking asshole. Like that's no. People need to know that about the people they look up to is a. They're probably nicer than you think they are, and they're more willing to work with you than you think. And also, there's you got nothing to lose. Like, do it. Reach out. We're, I am definitely not going to be a dick about it. Tom won't be a dick about it. So that's it. That's all you got is me and Tom. You want to reach out? You should. Yeah, 100%. And like, you know, one of the, like, it's not like, you know, when, when bands or artists hit me up or, or whatever, I'm not going to their Instagram or Spotify to see how big they are. I don't give a shit. Like, I really, I mean, unless you're like huge, you know, it's like I'm, I'll work with you even if I don't like you, but you know, yeah, 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 like yeah. I, I don't, I don't care how big a band is. I don't care how new they are. Like I really just want to work on good music, man, period. That's all I want to do. I mean, you could be literally your first, your first song. If it's like you have a good idea and you're talented, like, you know, I yeah. want to be a part of it, you know, if, it, if I'm into it. Well, when you get to the point where you are writing either for yourself and I, and I want to talk about your, your new band that you, you started uh, with your with your friend for sure what's, what's his name jesse how do you go about songwriting because i know it's like some people are different and, it, and it's like asking someone how do you connect with god <laughs> it's such a <laughs> it's like an ethereal weird thing that songwriters do how do how do you find the inspiration for writing how does the that craft go for you it's like a push and pull thing you know because sometimes i'll get inspired by somebody like you know i try to listen to a lot of music that i wouldn't uh, normally be listening to to get inspired to gain inspiration from and sometimes I'll hear something that'll literally just trigger something in my brain and I'll sit down and I, I'll just write and it, shit'll just flow out of me and, and the music just writes itself and a lot of other times it's like I try and nothing comes out and I get writer's block and it's just well what do you do when you have writer's block what's the process there for you mope around in <laughs> depression and wait for it to pass I don't know. you know what i'm saying it's like yeah, writer's block is so uh it's so disastrous to me as as a songwriter it's like i literally just got out of an unfortunately long writer's block period and it's just man it's like oh it's hard it's real hard to get it's very real and I think writer's block can be parallel for other people. If you're not an actual songwriter and you're listening, maybe maybe you run a business like I do. And sometimes I get, quote, writer's block creatively for how to solve a problem being an entrepreneur or, or owner of a thing. And yeah, it sucks. I hate it because sometimes I also run out of motivation and I run out of creativity juices. I heard Jack White talk about songwriting once from the white stripes and he was talking about i think a lot of people think songwriting is about you and your ego and you like control about like getting out of a writer's block means okay well if i focus hard enough and i i all about me 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 and i get out of this then i'll be out of this and i'll i'll come up with the, the riff but i think probably the better way to do it according to him and i agree is to give yourself over to just being an antenna, like just sit there and let the music gods yeah, speak to you, you know? And like, I think if you, if you give up, it's just like addiction, you know, like you have to surrender to that fact. And once you surrender and you, you let yourself be a little vulnerable, I think you're going to get out of that writer's block or that creative block or whatever it is that you're going through. You know, maybe it's, I don't know how to, I don't know how to solve this problem with me and my wife. I've been married for a long time. That happens all the time. I'm like, how the fuck are we going to figure this thing out? And sometimes just doing nothing is the answer. You know, just fucking chill for a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. be in real time and the, the, the answer will always present itself eventually. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, I feel like writer's block for me is a lot like it's not as bad obviously but it, it's kind of like being in the midst of of addiction you know it like for me it feels like it feels endless 
You know what I'm saying? That's why I say it, it's devastating for me. Cause like when I'm, cause I have bad depression and bipolar depression. So like when I have writer's block, it usually comes hand in hand, you know, my depression and the writer's block are just like, they're just cuddling each other, you know, makes it's sense. Like, yeah. it feels, it feels endless. It's like, Oh my God, I'm never going to write a damn song again for the rest of my life. It happens to me all the time, you know? Oh, of course. And, um, and then one day, I sit down at my desk and I pick up a guitar and it's gone and I'm writing music again. You know, and, and this is the, this is the back and forth push pull thing I've been doing my whole life. It's it's almost it's almost fascinating if it wasn't so annoying. You know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be hard. If it yeah. were easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, that's um, true. One of my, my one of my favorite baseball movies is A League of Their Own, where Tom Hanks is the coach. Or the manager. And there's a part where the catcher for the team, the, the woman says something. She's about to quit. She's about to quit the team and go back home to her husband and be a wife. And she's like, he's asking, why are you quitting or whatever? And she's like, it just got too hard. And he's like, the hard is what makes it great. You know, if it were easy, everyone would do it. And he just gets fucking mad at her. Like, <laughs> stay the course. You know, that's the whole fucking point. That's why this is special. If it were easy, then it wouldn't matter. Nothing nothing of significance comes because it's easy or always pleasant. I don't think that's supposed to be the point of art either. But art is fucking painful. And it's a reflection of all the, the lived experiences you've had. So writer's block just is part of it. I 100% agree. And writing music is absolutely the hardest thing I do as a human being. It's it's so hard. See, that's that's fascinating to me. This is something that we started the podcast with, you know, how'd you get into music? And you're like, well, it's just something I've always done, which is another way of saying I'm the most comfortable in this space. Yeah. You started it saying that and you're ending it saying it's the hardest thing I do. <laughs> Because it's both, you know. Because it's both. Saying? That's it, right. It one hundred percent is both. You know, it it's, is both. It's, it's who I am. It's I love it more than anything in the world besides like my wife. You know, um. But as far as the non not being a person, I yeah. Writing writing music is literally who I am. It's the only thing I've ever been good at. Uh, it's the only thing I've cared enough and seen through enough to be good at you know it's like literally i can yeah. i can fuck up i can you know almost die 10 times and, and come back from the dead and literally the the one thing that has always been there waiting for me is is, is my love and passion for music and but at the same time man it's it's fucking it's hard to do you know it's like really hard it's hard to even just get the inspiration to do it so when it pays off and I and I finish something, it, there's no words that can really explain the joy that it gives me, even for a half a second, even if it's just listening to it one time and never hearing it again, that that feeling, man, it's like it's that's why it's why I do it. It's everything. No, it really is like uh, spiritual, I guess. You know? Yeah, it, it is, you know, 100 percent otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah, and also the joy that I get from other people enjoying my music, man. It's being able to like write songs for people that I'll never meet, that it impacts their life. It's just like that. I don't know. It's man, I love that. I love it so much. It's like I don't know. It's my favorite thing in the world to know that there's there's strangers that love my my songwriting it's like insane to me to even yeah. think about it's crazy it is crazy it's so insane and i'm so honored and so grateful i can't even explain it <laughs> that's amazing i what is your assessment of the music industry the business that we're in the whole thing are you i mean obviously i'm very optimistic i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing i my assumption is you wouldn't be either if you didn't have some hope for this thing but let's just put that aside we assume that we're hopeful what is your are you like is there concerns for things you know coming out of the the late 90s into the early 2000s we 
the industry was very worried about Napster and physical sales of things going away and was like, oh my God, this is the end. This is it. This is the end of the industry. What the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> you can't, you yeah. can't have an industry if it's everything's given away for free. But then things shook themselves out and the dust had settled and now there's, there's an industry within the current state of things, the internet and streaming and whatever. Are you, um, now that there's less gatekeepers, it also means that everyone gets a chance, which means there's, I don't think there's a lot better music all of a sudden. There's just more of everything. There's literally more of everything, not just music. There's more movies and there's more TV shows and there's more podcasts and there's more cars and there's fucking just more everything. Yep. With that said, what's your uh, assessment of music today? My assessment is positive, uh, pretty much across the board. There's things I think that, you know, like, yeah, there's more of everything. And I think the prob- one of the problems with there being more of everything is there's a lot of the same kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of music that sounds exactly like the other thing because there's so much of it so much there, yeah there's so many bands that are like i how are you a different thing from the other band yeah so it's really hard to stand out even if you're trying to there's right probably somebody that sounds exactly like you because there's so much shit out there but there's also more people now than there used to be there's definitely more people listening to music than there used to be um the 100%. way that hundred percent there's more people listening to heavier music and pop, more pop it's just so so what you know i said about there being uh, a lot of stuff and hard to stand out at the same time i think it's okay because there's a lot of people exploring and looking for new artists and listening to new bands there's a lot of younger people that are you know I f- this is like one of the first times in like in music history where there's no walls between bands everybody is is in one big pool of of an audience listening to everything because yeah. everybody the only wall is your cell phone you know what i'm saying it's like before right right and there's less walls between the 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 buyer of the music the consumer of the music you used to right. have to have a record label which i'm sure is what you're about to say <laughs> exactly you know there's a that's that's another thing you know like so there's no walls there's no gatekeeping labels are less prominent and less important as they used to be you know being an independent artist it's not easy by by any means no no and by the way there's still a role for a label i just talked to uh dave rath he he was one of the head anrs for roadrunner right for years and, and he just started a new label and we were talking about this topic of like what's the what's the role of a label and he started with like it's the same as always man it's like different, but the same <laughs> and yeah. not all, just like my job, not all fucking producers need a manager. Even right. prominent producers don't always need a manager. It right. just has to be the right fit for the right person. And if yeah. it's not, then no hard feelings. And that's, I think a very similar thing. Bands don't need a label, but they do need a label. <laughs> it's just, a, it just depends. Yeah. It depends on what you're trying to do, you know? And I think, that's one of the beautiful things about the music industry nowadays is like, you know, before there was a formula and that everybody needed to follow that formula. You had to. Because, because there was only one way to make it. You know yep. what I'm saying? And that yeah. evolved over time, but it was still there. Now there's no formula, man. You can do anything you want. You can release your music how, whatever way you want. You don't have to tour. You can literally do like everything from your bedroom and still get millions of views. You know what's funny about that though, because there's there there is no formula anymore, and it's it's so open ended. I'll, I'll use analogy of like when you and your wife sit down for the night, and you're like, let's watch a movie or watch a show, or whatever. And so there's a strict rule in my household, my marriage. We have we have to rotate who gets to pick. Because if we don't, we'll just sit there for an hour going, I don't really feel like watching a fucking horror movie tonight. She's like, but I do. <laughs> and I'm like, but I want to watch a comedy. You know, like, yeah. And then you get on Netflix and there's so many options. You get on HBO Max, there's so many options. And so you get paralyzed with so many options. And humans are very funny in that way. When you have restriction, beautiful things happen. And I think bands out there that, to your point, because 
because there's so many ways, there are no gatekeepers. There are no, like, I need to have a label to pay for a record and then distributor puts records into record stores and that's how it used to be. Now it's just like, get a district kid account, get a Spotify account, hire Tom Denny to make your record, done. Right. That's yep. all you need to do. Yeah. But because of that, I think artists, producers, man, everyone, we need to f- we need to put those boundaries to ourselves and we need to gatekeep ourselves and right. give an actual plan of attack. Otherwise, you're just wandering around in the desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And it's a big ass desert. It's know? a big <laughs> desert. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so but I I mean overall, I think uh I think we're in a really good place. Um Good. Me you too. know, when you know, when a data member first started taking off, everybody was stealing records. Everybody was pirating. Yeah. Spotify everybody. didn't exist. Apple Music didn't exist. Like there was no streaming. There was, I mean, everybody was just stealing records. And for 10 years of my career, that the first 10 years of my musical career, it was everybody was stealing records, which I didn't mind because I just wanted people to listen to my stuff. Right, right. Um, but but it was tough to make a living. Like that's that's part of why bands very like hard. you guys had to tour that much back in the day. Had to. Had to. That was the only 100%. Option. And that's what I think is great about uh, things nowadays is there's ways to make an income as an artist. And, you know, you know, touring doesn't have to be one of those things, you know. And I it think that is going to open the door to a lot of artists and musicians to create music and and make a career out of it and and make a life out of it that maybe wouldn't have had the chance 20 years ago. And I think that's, that's really the, that's really the most optimistic uh, thing for me is, you know, is now we have all these people that, you know, are able to create music that maybe wouldn't have or weren't able to, or, uh, you know, didn't, um, have the motivation or inspiration to because it, it seemed impossible. It doesn't seem so impossible anymore. And I think that's because right. of that, there's going to be a lot of people making good music. You know what I'm saying? I think you know, good, good music is that's the, that's the thing, man. That's, that's really the only thing that matters. By the way, I, I love that assessment. I agree 100%. And I'm also seeing it as a producer manager. I'm seeing really talented producers come up you know, out of the woodwork because like, like bands, there's less gatekeeping to be a good producer. Back in the day, you had to like be someone's fucking runner at the studio, empty the trash. Oh yeah. Get drugs and fucking coffee and booze for the band. And like you had to pay your dues before you were allowed to then be the house engineer if you're lucky. And then you, then if you're even lucky, you get to start actually producing records and like that, though that chain of command still kind of exists in like bigger markets, Los Angeles recording studio thing, like that's still a thing, but you can get a laptop, you know, a MacBook Pro, you can get any doll of your choice. It doesn't even have to be Pro Tools. It can be fucking anything. You can start a garage band. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. 100%. Go get a couple microphones, one interface, one, uh, one decent compressor, and you're off to the races. Absolutely. Yeah, like, absolutely. And, and, you know, when I started making records, um, it was not like that. You had to spend so much no. money. You had to have like <laughs> oh, virtual shit, HD man. rig, which was like 12 grand. It, it just was so ridiculous. I recorded to tape when I was 17 years old. I, I drummed on an album to tape. <laughs> like, like fucking tape, dude. Wow. Yeah, man. There was some guy. Ch- that's how they edited the fucking record. They chopped it up physically. That's crazy. Fucking nuts. I've never done that in my lifetime. I I had when I was in when I was like in high school, I recorded with somebody that did the ADAT tapes. They were yeah. like VHS tapes. Oh yeah. Which was it was a pretty similar thing, but um but yeah, I mean things were a lot different back then. And not to mention there was no YouTube. There was so no. there was you couldn't Nothing. learn. You had to learn by doing or or apprenticing yeah. or working. That's actually a huge yeah, that's a huge point, Tom. You're right. Yeah. yeah if you wanted to learn how to do all that you had to you had to intern or be someone's assistant period end of story yeah 100 percent. yeah and it was uh you know when i it took me a long time to get to a point where i was comfortable with making records and um 
good you know i made some yeah. bad sounding records at first because that's that's the reason i i was literally learning by doing, doing. You know, yeah. that's all you could do back then you know of course <laughs> and uh it's a lot different now and i think it's great you know i, the more, I do too the more people making music man that's there's that's just that's good no matter what to me you know it's so funny i I was talking to someone earlier about this too, that like, it's all relative too. in 20 years from now, people, you know, the, the young generation now in 20 years will be talking to the young, young generation then about how hard they had it back then. <laughs> yeah. All we had was iPhones and the internet. Yeah. And like, you know, <laughs> we don't have the blah, 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 the thing that I don't even know exists yet. Yeah, I know. It's all relative. And like, this thing just keeps going around, man. Yeah, yeah. It's rock and roll will never die. No, of course not. Never, ever, ever. I mean, I I'm wearing the Wonder Years hoodie because I got it last night at the show. Hung out with the band, caught up with Casey, and then, and these are like normal ass dudes, forty ish, give or take, plus or minus a few years. Some of them have kids, some don't. They're all married, normal fucking guys. And then they go take the stage in front of two thousand plus people, sold the fuck out. And it's like that every night on tour for them. Damn. They're making more money than they've ever made. They're That's they're awesome. just killing it. And uh, the record they did with Steve Evitz is just on fire, which is one of my clients. Steve Evitz is a man. He's a fucking goat. Oh, he's he is the goat. I know. I'm with you, man. He's one of my favorite producers of all time. Well, we got to get you guys connected. No, we got to do it. I love that guy. We definitely need you to do some writing with him or something. That would be really fucking cool. Because I think there's a lot of crossover there. Yeah. No, I was going to say, the cool thing about the Wonder Your Show is, like, it was a good reminder that at the end of the day, people want real experiences and they want analog things. And even though the internet is, the internet is cool for some things, but, you know, there's no record store anymore. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no, like old recording studios with tape machines and big ass boards and a bunch of knobs. And that's kind of sad. Yeah. But I think what's cooler from that is a band like the one years, 18 years into their career can still be doing what they're doing at the top of their game. And they can make record. They may not even have a label on the next one because they don't really need it anymore. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. And that's yeah, no, exactly. that's no talking shit on hopeless. Hopeless is a legend. I mean, that's a, that's a label that we all grew up with, and but um, they're gonna have to Jesus Christ, they would have to offer the Wonder Years an insane deal for that to even make sense for them, you know. And I think that's exciting. I think that it makes it makes Hopeless a better label, it makes the Wonder Years a better band, it makes the fans a better fan, and it makes you the producer a better producer. It's all good, and I I think the the healthy competition from all angles is how, I mean. I think objectively music in many ways is better now than it's ever been. Yeah. I, I like 100% the, as agree. an industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And I think the, the, the fact that there's so much music out there, um, I feel like that idea alone pushes people to try to write better music. Uh, you know, even if they're not even realizing it, the idea that there's so much quote unquote competition, um, which I don't, I don't, I actually believe there's any competition for anything artistic, but you know, for the sake of argument, um, I think just the idea that there's so much competition out there, um, it forces everybody, um, in the music industry to do, you know, to play their part, uh, better and harder and, and more focused and try to create better music at the end of the day. And I think that's, that's incredible. You know, it's like, you know, back in the day it, it was, I remember I specifically remember writing filler songs because people bought your record and like you wrote like your big your big songs, you know, and then you wrote your filler songs. Yeah. The album tracks. Yeah. There's no filler songs no more. You can't you can't release a filler song because everything's a single. Everything is a single. And that I like that. I think Me it's too. amazing that like, you know, especially as a songwriter, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, you can't half ass writing anymore. And I think that's something that like AI or technology will never knock on wood, be able to replace, you know, hopefully it'll never be. No, I don't think they will either. And even if it did, I was just talking to someone about this before, even if AI figured out how to produce mix and master record completely A to Z without a human being, 
people are still going to need producers. You know why? Because yeah. they're going to need the human. <laughs> yeah, they're going to need that that expertise and that skill set and that that perspective. I was once addicted to drugs. I once did this. I once yep. felt that. You cannot make up for that ever. Right. You. It's just full stop. And and you can't make up. And we saw it in COVID. All the like live streaming bands did. That was only that a necessity. But as soon as venues opened again and people were allowed to go to shows, bye live streaming. Yeah. Bye. We'd rather go to the show. Yeah, and, you're right. You know, I, I I don't worry about that. You know, when, when Ford made the Model T, the horse industry actually lobbied to get rid of Ford. Yeah, I know. Because they were like, he's going to, you know... <laughs> He's kind of ruined yeah. the horse industry. I mean, that's so insane to say now. And it happens with everything, every new invention, every new technology. Every time. Anytime it happens, there's going to be somebody that are afraid of losing their jobs or their company or, you know. And that's not to say that some of it will be automated. I mean, one of my clients, Jay Moss, literally developed a mastering AI software. Yeah, I know. He developed something that makes his job obsolete. Yeah. And I think that's fun. Personally, I think that's really exciting. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and, and like, it's not going to be for everyone. Right. Doja Cat is still going to pay whoever a bunch of fucking gobs of money to mix and master her record. Always. That will always still be a thing. And it's just going to make everyone even more competitive and better at what they do. So I I like your assessment of things. This has been super fucking fun. Let's, let's let the people go. They've been with us long enough. Yeah. Where can people find you, man? What's the best location online? Instagram.com slash Tom Denny Music. TomDennyMusic.com is where you can look and listen to my uh, my entire discography and contact me for booking. It also it occurred to me we didn't talk about Sounds Like Color, your band. Yep. Sounds Like Color is my, my new band. Instagram.com slash sounds like color music uh yep really it sounds like color music on every social media and you can find it it's on all streaming platforms we don't have to go to in too detail but yeah it's it's my new band and i I like it and that's great man i love releasing music for people again feels really good so now you have a couple singles out problems just came out yeah well yeah everyone go check out sounds like color at sounds like color music on instagram and at tom denny on Instagram. Drop him a line. He's a he's a juggernaut in the industry. If you want to do some writing, hit him up. But just make sure you don't suck. That's always <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> right. <laughs> now you'd be surprised. Even if you suck, reach out. You never know. Yeah. Could be something in the the suckage that I that I like. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Most bands suck at first and that's the whole point. We we're trying to get the suck out. Yeah. I mean that's my job is to make it not suck. So there it is, man. Well, dude, this was uh, super fun as always. Let's uh, let's catch up again soon, and let's do some cool shit together this year. Hell yeah, man! Bowie, Dylan, Marley—you've heard the names, and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of the 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012, with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of the 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.